Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. While inflation hits its highest in Ireland since 1984, mortgage holders are warned to brace themselves as the European Central Bank announces rate increases from next month. The government says that the issue is out of its hands. The operation of the ECB and what happens in the governing council is a matter for them. Money over morals. The Saudi-backed LIV Golf Invitational Series begins today with some of the sport's top stars being accused of taking part in the contentious tournament for financial-based reasons. Is there any way you wouldn't play on a moral basis? If the money was right, is there any way you wouldn't play? I don't need to answer that question. And our Week in Review panel takes a look at some of the other big stories of the week. Join the conversation using our hashtag TonightVMTV. What comes to mind when you think of Ireland in the 80s? Emigration, unemployment and recession. With the news today that inflation has hit its highest rate since 1984, are we at risk of slipping into another decade of economic downturn? In studio here to discuss is journalist for the Irish Independent Sinead Ryan, Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castles, TD for People Before Profit, Mick Barry, and political correspondent for the Irish Times, Harry McGee. And via Skype tonight, I'm joined by Professor of Economics in the University of Limerick and Chief Economics Writer for the Currency, Stephen Kinsla. You're all very welcome along to the programme. Um, I want to come to you first, uh, Stephen, and talk about that rate of inflation um, that was announced today. At its highest level in 38 years, it reached 7.8% in the month of May. It was predicted that we would see this cost of living rise, but did you think it would increase to this extent before the middle of the year? Uh, yes, the um, increase was prefigured um, and modelled pretty well, actually, by the Department of Finance and by the World Bank and by the IMF. Essentially, the idea is that um, the cost of living will rise by about 15% between um, the start of the year and the end of the year. So, yeah, you, 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 this was fairly well expected. I think the um, the issue that we're all sort of grappling with is the idea that inflation will rise this year, but it will also rise next year. So, cumulatively, over, say, a two-year period, you could start seeing things like a 15 or 20% cumulative increase in inflation. And what that actually means is that the average household is perhaps a fifth uh, poorer than they would otherwise have been, especially if they're in uh, po they're, they're poorer households already. They're very dependent on um, uh, fuel subsidies and, and, and uh, particular types of fossil fuels that they have to drive for work, um, and, and also if they have to heat uh, uh, poorly insulated homes. And finally, if they uh, uh, um, 
uh, have certain kinds of food choices, then they, they will end up paying an awful lot of an inflation premium. We know that poorer households are hit much harder by inflation than um, other types of households. And what you're pointing to is a very segregated society of the, the society, people who, who can afford to absorb these increases and those that simply cannot. This is the first time we've seen such a rise since 1984. What's the difference here, Stephen? Uh, the fundamental difference is that there's an expectation that this will continue on into next year and perhaps even the year after. So if we were talking at the start of this year, and I believe we did, um, I was saying things like, well, look, you know, it's looking like it's going to be a temporary blip as we just get over the, the, the COVID shock and things will go back to normal. So, you know, more or less, the government needs to help um, people on fixed incomes and, you know, then just kind of get on with it as things normalize. The difference is fundamentally the Ukraine war. Um, yeah, we we import almost all of our our energy, which means uh, two things. One, uh, we have almost no defense against inflation. And the other thing is that we, because we import lots of uh, oil and gas, we will be um, effectively paying Vladimir Putin for uh, his illegal war at the same time. So it's a, it's a kind of a double jeopardy for uh, the Irish state at the moment. And Stephen, with all of that, we have this announcement about the ECB rate rise. Uh, what will that do to the economy? What are we likely to see um, uh, that impacting, like we know that that there'll, there'll be the mortgage um, holders' impact on households. But what else? Because the, the the reasoning behind it, I presume, is inflation busting. That's why they've made this call. Oh. Absolutely. Um, there are two. There are actually two pieces of um, information that came out today. Uh, the first was a, a widely wide prefigured interest rate rise and uh, the, the bank, central bank simply has to do that um, and, and uh, the only real question is how high they will go um, between uh, now and the end of next year. Um, nobody expects them to keep interest rates the way they are with inflation uh, as high as it is. What that means for, for people uh, listening is um, you know, your mortgage payment is going to get higher. It'll be more expensive to get a loan. It'll be more difficult to um, access financial services you know, uh, the, the, um, on, a, on, a, on a daily basis. But the second piece of information is probably more relevant um, the, the, uh, 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 in a bizarre way. For the last couple of years, there's been a process of something called quantitative easing, where basically the central bank has been buying bonds and pushing up its prices and in, in order to lower interest rates and make sure that um, states can borrow and stuff. And the ECB has, has said they're going to stop that now, that we're going to engage in what's called quantitative tightening. Um, and so that will that will mean it will become more expensive for the state to borrow, which will have implications for the, the budget that's upcoming. It'll be it'll mean it'll be more expensive uh, and, 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 and and more risky to hold uh, currencies in, in different ways. So it, 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 it means that an era, a decade-long era of, of ultra-low interest rates, ultra-low inflation, ultra-accommodative monetary policy is coming to an end. And uh, the ECB is sort of signaling very strongly that that's the case um, and that will, um, uh, that will have a big effect not only on households but also on firms and on the government. Okay, just to bring the rest of our panel in on this, Sinead, you know, we talked about, first off, the impact on how you're going to feel it in the monthly mortgage. Um, what should people do on hearing this, that from, from next month we're going to see um, a quarter of 1% increase on the ECB rate? How is that going to play out when it comes to what you have to pay back in your mortgage repayment every month? Well, we're going to see a quarter percent immediately and then probably another quarter percent before Christmas as a minimum. Now, to be honest, the ECB should have done this before now and because they were engaged in this QE programme, they, they weren't able to. Um, it in itself, of course, is supposed to curb inflation. But the problem is that this inflation this time round, unlike 1984, is caused by... Essentially, it's commodity-based. It's caused by the energy crisis. Um, so it's not that people are borrowing too much. 
you know, uh, and, and that's normally where monetary policy is employed. So it is going to hit borrowers hard because it's not of their making. It's not their fault. They didn't overborrow in these cases. Uh, so what it's going to happen is that your interest rates will go up immediately because banks will be very, very quick off the mark on this now. Your savings rate won't go up at all, <laughs> probably, mm. uh, but the mortgage rates will go up immediately. Now, what it means, uh, the ones that are most sensitive to this would be tracker customers uh, because their rate immediately tracks the ECB rate. So their rate will rise first. Uh, for those on fixed rate mortgages, their rate won't rise until their fixed rate contract is up. So that could be one year, three year, five years. So anybody who's locked into a fixed rate contract is in the best position at the moment. Um, There's now going to be a clamour uh, do no, you believe for fixed rate well, mortgages? Well, there are already. I mean, seven in ten mortgages now taken out are all fixed rate. And people would be encouraged to switch, especially with the likes of Ulster Bank and KBC going. They don't have to because their mortgages are being sold on. Uh, but it's a good idea to review it every so often mm. and see if it is worth locking into rate. Um, Claire, you don't even have to change bank to do that. All you have to do is go to your own bank and say, I'd like to lock into a three-year rate or a five-year rate. Check any of the uh, website comparison pages or the CCPC and see what's available in your own bank. Um, Shane, you know, when, when we're hearing this today um, and talking about the rate of inflation being at its highest level in 38 years and the Thornish are speaking out and very much seem wanting to do something for middle-income earners, the squeezed middle, uh, where is the government on all of that? Because Leo Radker spoke out about it, but Fianna Fáil seems a little bit more cautious on that front to do anything right now. Yeah, and I suppose the first thing, and you mentioned in your intros package, like uh, the 1980s, and I'm a kid of the 1980s, I remember it well. The difference between the 1980s and now is we've got economy that's far more robust to actually uh, deal with the pressures that we're under. We've got two and a half million people at work, which is a record which was announced last week. So the economy is in a far stronger position to be able to deal. Yeah, are with they the on? Are they on, on the wages? Are they? Are, are they? I mean, these are people who are yes, Absolutely. yes. The employment is there, but they're yeah. the same people who kind of well, can't get a home. Exactly, but and that's why you need to have measures from government to help mitigate the impact of the rising cost of living whether that be in terms of the energy subsidies, whether that be in terms of the transport subsidies, cutting public transport by 20% to make it easier for people uh, to get to work, 50% for students, looking at freezing childcare fees now from September in this year, a huge cost on families as well. That's going to be a major... So all of the different... It's not going to be one silver bullet. It is a case of trying to take it cumulatively. And you also have to balance a scenario where you don't... You talked about inflation busting that you don't get into a situation where you actually then are contributing factor to that. So all of the measures that are looking across government departments... Go, and yes. the taxation, you asked me about ta taxation. Yeah, just go back to, yeah. to what, I mean, what Leo Radger pointed to. Absolutely. Well, we'll be trashed out in, in, in the context of the budget to try and see, right, where can government take measures that are going to help, in particular, uh, low-income families and middle-income families that need the help and the support the most, whilst also making sure okay. that you've got a whole... You've got the highest expenditure ever in public services, and you need to maintain that. We, we can't have a scenario like we had before where we shrink the tax base and you're not able to pay for the public services that we need in the long term as well. OK, we, we've heard this time and again um, from government, Mick Barry, that they're doing all they can, that they're targeting those who need it most. There's the public um, transport uh, discount, and we also have that energy credit that everyone received in their last bill. The discounts is, are there, the help is available insofar as the government can do it, they say. I don't think there'll be too many of your viewers tonight sitting at home listening to Shane and saying, go, the government, they're really doing the business for us here. I think some people will be putting their head in their hands and other people will just be shaking their heads because the hit that people are taking and what the government are doing in order to try and assist people. There's just such a huge gap. This mortgage issue 
will be a hammer blow for working people. Three quarters of a million people are going to be affected by it. It'll be 80 euro a month if there is a 1% increase. Um, uh, sorry, a half a percent of an increase. And some people are expecting four times as much as that. And it's clear that what is needed now is wage increases. Wage increases which match the rate of inflation. And that's what workers need to put the unions under pressure on to do now. All right. We just, can we, if we could have a little listen, um, our economics correspondent Paul Colgan was speaking earlier to Pascal Donoghue, um, asked him about government intervention just on the cost of living crisis. Here's what he had to say. Paul, you know the operation of the ECB and what happens in the governing council is a matter for them. And uh, they're independent of me, they're particularly independent of me in my work as president of the Eurogroup. And they have to make their own decisions uh, independent of uh, political comment or influence from me. OK, so that's on the ECB rate rides specifically. But on government intervention in general, they say they're looking towards a budget framework come October, but there'll be nothing more before then, Harry. No, yeah, I was at a, an event yesterday and Heather Humphreys, the Minister for Social Protection, was there and she was arguing that the government does not have a magic money tree and that it has already uh, given out a €2.5 billion euro package mm. and is not prepared to do any more until uh, the October budget. She did mention the squeeze middle, as Leo Varadkar did. I think they're signalling that Fine Gael wants to have an intermediary rate between the 20% and 40% rate. At the same time, you know... Uh, and, and some of it is, I mean, a lot of it is not of the government. Is that, making, is that causing problems within government, specifically what Fine Gael are looking for? <laughs> <laughs> they haven't spoken about it yet. Fine Gael are, are, are doing a little bit of, of flag-waving in relation flying to that. Kites. Yes, flying kites, perhaps. And uh, they, we, they've invited a response uh, from their compadres in government. But it hasn't yeah, what been do you think of that yet. kite being flown? I mean, there's three parties making up the government and, and different parties are going to make different... Ultimately, the Cabinet makes the decision. Uh, I don't think two and a half... I don't believe, Mick, there's anyone at home going, go Shane tonight on their TV, but I do think the people that have received uh, credit in terms of their electricity bills, that have received credit in terms of the... Hang on a second, though. There's a new bill in the door this month now and a lot of people are already commenting on, on the shock uh, they're, they're, they're getting when they see Absolutely. what's at the bottom and, of that and, bill. And, and, and the other thing as well is, Claire, is obviously this is permeating all debates now over the government... And the, the fact that Sinead made as well in respect of, and you had Charlie Weston on here last night talking about, the man has been talking about this for years now in terms of going from a variable to a fixed uh, interest rate mortgage. It's something I did myself last year. I switched provider, I switched rate, I saved two and a half grand okay, a year. OK, so shop around that. advice. It's, it's, no, but it's, two it's, points. About, it's about making sure that we're getting all of the different aspects of our life and, and attack and, and dealing with them rather than looking to say, well, government can solve it all for us. I think that's, that's, all right. that's okay, something as well. Make a quick point just in relation to inflation. And it's not just energy. I mean, there also has been very significant food inflation Absolutely. and commodity inflation as well over the past year that hasn't been highlighted in the same way. So, for example, flour has gone up by 12%. Uh, uh, milk has gone up 20%. So it's those basics that the people in the lowest income will have difficulty in paying. And it's a difficult uh, situation for the government to confront. But for that lower uh, decile of the population who are struggling at, at the moment, they really are going to have to do something, perhaps yeah. before the budget. But Stephen, can I ask you about that, about the issue of government intervention on this? What do you believe the government should be doing uh, when we're facing into this crisis? What, what, what could be done now, do you believe? Well, I think the first thing that we should um, try to do is not make it worse. The the uh, 
inflation is caused, as Harry said, by by um, by factors that are fundamentally beyond the government's control, the energy prices and so forth. The, the government can help by um, doing things like proportionally changing excise rates. So inflation goes up by 5%. You drop the excess rate. You don't need the cabinet to, to get that done, and the revenue commissioners can do it. Uh, you, you can do other things like making sure that um, that uh, income tax rates get get indexed. Uh, Nick was talking about wage increases. Actually, wage increases would be very good um, in certain sectors uh, because they haven't tracked productivity for a very long time. And that, that'd be that really we hear good. But, just on wage yeah. increases, the argument we hear um, from government, and we heard it from Shane there about this inflationary spiral and feeding that inflationary spiral. Is there a risk of that? Or do you believe actually no wage uh, increases, that, that could happen there's, without there's no, impacting There's nothing in the data. Yeah, there's nothing in the data clear to, to suggest that the wage price spiral is going to happen. Um, in, in fact, it's the opposite. Uh, we've got lots of people on, on relatively low wages. Um, and if you've got a cost of living problem, there's only two things you can do. You can lower the cost or you can increase the the, the, uh, the wage of the person. You're going to have to do both uh, fundamentally at the moment. Um, it, it is a kind of a, a big moment for, for labor in that you know we are pretty much at full employment. Um, and if you're not going to get a wage increase at this moment, um, uh, when are you going to get one? Um, I, I, was, I certainly was arguing against wage increases the last time it was very much on the on the cards. Um, the data don't show that there's going to be a wage price spiral. Um, and I, I do feel that those should certainly be on the cards, particularly if you, if you look at corporate profits, because they're off the charts at the moment. All right. Mick, you wanted to come in there. That's an extremely important point that Stephen has just made, because the government have been telling us for months and months and months that you can't go for wage increases because it will knock on and increase the prices. And here we have a leading economist disagreeing with that. He's not the only leading economist who's disagreed with that. Even some top people in the IMF have said that now. A wage increase will result in a cut in profits. And why shouldn't the big corporations who are creaming it at the moment, why shouldn't they be asked to show restraint rather than the working people again and again and again? And the final point briefly on this, Claire, is that it's time for people to raise their voices on this. And I think the protests mm. that are being organised in Dublin, Cork and around the country on Saturday week, I would strongly appeal to people to come out and to join them and to say working people are not going to be the ones who carry the can this time, and to show solidarity Sh with the people Shane, who are facing I, the choice of heating or eating. Right, uh, Shane, ju just to bring you in briefly on on, on the on the wages there and um, what Stephen was saying, that it wouldn't in fact cause an inflationary spiral in his opinion. Um, what do you make of that? Shouldn't that be considered by government? Also, the Fiscal Advisory Council with the €2.4 billion Euro that hasn't been used in a targeted way to help people, and it could be. And so Stephen said there, in, in, in certain sectors, it could be a good thing in terms of looking at wages. And, and Mick is wrong in terms of the government saying, no, it can't be. I mean, just at this very moment in time, the government uh, and Minister Roderick O'Gorman are dealing with an employment regulation order to actually increase the wages in the whole childcare sector, which is something that has been a hot topic this week in terms of why we're having mm. problems with high uh, fees in childcare and retention of... of Shane, you've because cut the wages just, of the lowest-paid workers in the country. Let me just finish the point. You've me. cut the workers on the, the minimum point, wage. Let me finish the point, OK? You don't need to shout at me. They're looking at actually increasing and putting aside a huge swathe of money to actually increase the uh, wages of an entire sector to make sure that we have sustainability in sector and bring fees down for hardworking okay. parents. And the government are doing that. Yet you sit beside me and you go, oh, the government have no increase our interest in increasing wages. They very much so do. Okay, because so, they know that they have to retain so let me a ask workforce. You a question, they have to retain a workforce in Briefly. areas like childcare to make sure uh, that Sinead, we have trained professionals. Sinead, you want to come, you want to come yeah, in I, there. I think that 
you know, Stephen makes a really interesting point there about the wage spiral. But before you ever get to wage increases, what you get is unrest. So we've seen Ryanair, for instance, at the moment. Um, they have unions coming out in various countries uh, threatening to go on strike. We have public sector unrest here. We're trying to deal with, with packages for them. The problem is that... In, this all takes time and it's something that has to be negotiated over a very long mm. period and quite rightly. What needs to happen right now is maybe a conversation about that. That's a budgetary matter, really. But before then, we can look at things like taking down excise. We're locked into a lot of the VAT. There's not mm -hmm. much we can do about that. But we can certainly start issuing some short-term solutions. That Emergency are a measures. Piece of what we have right. done for now, but in a much more targeted way. That's all we have time for on that topic. Uh, my thanks to Stephen Kinsler, who joined us tonight via Skype. The rest of the panel will be staying with us after the break. Some of the world's top golfers are forced to defend their honour following their involvement in the controversial Saudi-backed LIV Golf Invitational. I'm certainly aware of what has happened with Jamal Khashoggi, and it's, I think it's terrible. I've also seen the good that the game of golf has done throughout history. Welcome back. Some of golf's biggest stars find themselves out in the rough today as the PGA Tour bans 17 players for their involvement in the Saudi-backed LIV Golf Invitational. So why has this tournament proven to be so controversial? And is the integrity of the game going down a slippery slope? My panel of Sinead Ryan, Shane Castles, Mick Barry and Harry McGee are still with me. But first, I'd like to go to co-presenter of the Second Captain's podcast, Ken Early, who joins us via Skype tonight. Ken, thanks for joining us on the show. Um, Let's talk about something that's really dominated both sports and news headlines. And this is a $25 million prize fund um, for one event alone. I think the winner will collect $4 million in, in the event that's, that's kicking off or teeing off um, today. But tell us a little bit about why it's causing such controversy, specifically because it's backed by the Public Investment Fund in Saudi. Well, what's, what's essentially happening is a take over and attempt to take over the sport of golf. So Saudi Arabia is going to use its financial muscle, which is effectively unlimited, you know, at least in relative terms, uh, to set up a new tour that will attract all of the best players uh, and therefore the audience to take a, to take over the sport from the PGA Tour, uh, the US organization that's dominated it for, run the sport for decades. Uh, and really, it's as, uh, it's as simple as that. This, is, uh, this has made a lot of people in the PGA Tour very unhappy. Money-wise, what's in it for the players? As we understand, the likes of Phil Mickelson, uh, before they even take to the green, are earning millions just for showing up. Well, the signing-on fees um, for players like Dustin Johnson uh, have been... It's at least $120 million, and I've heard as high as $180 million. That's just to get him to play in the tournament. That's just to, that's just to get him to join. That's, that's aside from any money that he can win, which is substantial. I mean, there's $255 million split for, uh, I think it's seven, the, uh, the next seven uh, events that they're going to hold. So the, you know, the players are sharing a lot of money, but it's the signing on fees, which are really incredible. I mean, the Mickelson one is, is reported to be 200 million. 
uh, $200 million. And, and Greg Norman, who's fronting this thing for the Saudis, uh, said that Tiger Woods turned down an offer in the high nine figures, uh, so nearly a billion dollars, uh, just to join. That's separate from anything you can actually win or what you get paid for doing it. That's just your, your hello money. So, If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It is, um... It's an outrageous amount, really. Uh, let's have a little listen to uh, Phil Mickelson and others, uh, what they had to say when they were asked about it at the, the press briefing for this event. Lee and Ian, is there anywhere in the world you wouldn't play? If Vladimir Putin had a, a tournament, would, would you play there? A speculation. I'm not even going to comment on speculation. So, just in a generality, is there anywhere you wouldn't play on a moral basis? If the money was right, is there anywhere you wouldn't play? I don't need to answer that question. Sorry? I don't need to answer that question. Lee, do you want to answer it? Would you, I mean, would you have played in apartheid South Africa, for example? Well, you're just asking us to answer a hypothetical question there, which... Well, they're you know, moral we questions, aren't they? Answer a question on that. I don't condone human rights violations at all. I, I, I don't think it, I, I, nobody here does um, any, throughout the world. And I'm certainly aware of what has happened with Jamal Khashoggi, and it's, I think it's terrible. I've also seen the good that the game of golf has done throughout history, and I believe that Live Golf is going to do a lot of good for the game as well. 
arguably, uh, Mick Barry, this is putting Saudi's human rights record right into the the spotlight, it's appalling human rights record. Um, and this going back to Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who heads the PIF, being accused of ordering the killing of the Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi back in 2018. Yes, there's the issue of a killing of a journalist. There's the issue of the targeting of the LGBTQ uh, community in Saudi Arabia. There's the question of the death of at least 100,000 people with Saudi Arabia's dirty war against Yemen, at least 12,000 of whom are civilians. Uh, the Saudi regime understands the importance of soft power. Uh, in this case, we're talking about sports washing, cleaning up the image of the regime by investing in football clubs like Newcastle United mm -hmm. and by this type of, uh, this type of uh, uh, the, 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 the golf event. Sports washing is, is what it's at, and those players should not I'd be participating in this. It's morally wrong. And they actually knew it when the questions were being asked. Just, just look at the way in which they responded. Um, you know, Shane, um, I think we heard Graeme McDowell saying, you know, we're not politicians, we're professional golfers here. Uh, don't look to sports stars for taking the high moral ground. But should we look to politicians for taking a higher moral ground? Because they don't when it comes to engaging with the Saudi state. Well, I think, first of all, those interviews were, were cringe. Uh, the one certainly with Phil Mickelson and fair play to people like Rory McIlroy, who's called them out and said that, you know, they're doing it for boatloads of cash and, and has called them out rightly so. And it's not just, I just want to say, it's not just, golf stars are being highlighted today, as you've rightly alluded to. This has been going on now for a number of years. Last year, we saw it highlighted with Newcastle United as well. What was very worrying was the fact that uh, the fans themselves uh, yeah. went to the Premier League and urged for that deal to be go through when the Premier League said there was yeah. too close to alignment between the I think the, the point two. I'm getting to there is, as the golfers are saying, we're not politicians, mm -hmm. but the politicians themselves are doing business with the Saudi Kingdom. So, for example, we had the Thornish are doing a trade mission to the UAE and Saudi, inviting a member of the Saudi government uh, to visit Ireland with a view to deepening ties. Is yeah, that right? I think we have had trade missions there. And equally so, I know that when Minister Charlie McConnell was dealing with agricultural deals uh, there as well, he made sure to meet with the UN ambassador as well in terms of human rights and stressing that. So in tandem with making sure that you're promoting Ireland's interest was making sure that he was actually is stressing... Is problematic, do you think? Stressing that as well. Is it but, problematic? But, well, it, I mean, you're saying this is cringe, this is outrageous, you know, and, 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 and pointing to not just golf, but sports washing, um, as Saudi has been accused of. But certainly, you know, there's no shortage of, yeah. of political It was cringe because they couldn't, they, couldn't, they, they hadn't obviously formulated any thoughts whatsoever on the issues of human rights. My point is that when trade missions were happening, equally Irish ministers were looking at the human rights issue and pressing that uh, with the relevant ambassadors as well. My point being in terms of sport and them being used as puppets uh, there today, that was cringe. And what was sad about the whole Newcastle United situation last year is that you had 50,000 Geordies dressing up as Saudis in the stadium, shaking swords in the air, welcoming the Saudis and their money into Newcastle. I've been to St James's Park many times. It's a hard-working hard area. But and we, it was, it was we sad welcome to see. the Saudis and their money. What we're doing is making sure that the trade missions that Ireland are promoting are done in tandem okay. with the human rights issues as well. What was happening? So we're calling to, it out. What, what, exactly. What was happening right. today is they, they, they look at they were actually they were choking on their golf balls in their mouth because they couldn't get their words around. Uh, they couldn't get their words okay, around. Okay, but we're a bit say. more articulate in saying beheadings aren't good, Harry. We are, but uh, that's not enough, really. Um, there is a kind of a contradiction, perhaps a hypocrisy there, in relation to the state's dealings and all European states' dealings 
uh, with Saudi Arabia. And the very same thing that those golfers have been accused of, you could level it at most governments in Europe. Money talks, you know, and Saudi Arabia is, is extraordinarily wealthy. We rely on Saudi Arabian oil. And we... So is it a bit hypocritical to be making a big deal of this? Yes, of course it is. Mm. I, I actually, Mick was saying that it was sports washing. The Saudis don't really, don't really care about image. They're, they're in this for the money. And those they, they golfers are, 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 are in this for the month. Well, they don't... They, do you know why they care? Look at Harry. They, 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 care, they don't there's, really. There's, there's, I'll tell you why they care, because there's small nuances happening within this as well. You take, for example, that this uh, coming August, when the Newcastle United away strip is being uh, revealed and it has been leaked, what is it going to be? It's going to be the Saudi Arabian, uh, Saudi Arabian kit, green and white. It has no connection whatsoever to Newcastle. So they do yeah, care. They're trying to get imaging out there I, as well, I, Harry. Actually, Nate, um, you know, we may be... A opposed to the human rights violations, but we're highly reliant on the Saudis increasingly now for energy. It's terribly problematic. It is both hypocritical and to some extent, we have no choice as well. Um, and I think it's probably too glib to say we, we shouldn't do any trade deals, we shouldn't get involved in them, we shouldn't be talking to them. I mean, if we do, fine, but we have to have alternatives. I find it curious, and I don't know a whole heap about golf, to be perfectly honest. This seems to me an old age tussle between money uh, buying values. Um, but I'm curious as to why maybe this tournament, which is being held in the UK, there isn't the same opprobrium applied to the golf courses that are hosting it or the television stations mm. that will be running it or the newspapers that will be covering it in terms of the golf itself. I, I find okay. that curious and surely that's the way to Just call it. Uh, let's ask Ken about that. Ken, is there kind of, you know, wider than the actual golfers themselves taking part? Is there any issue with the venues and with those who are promoting this event? Well, I haven't confirmed, for instance, a TV deal yet. I mean, you can watch this on YouTube. They're doing their own production at the moment. I'm sure somebody will come along to um, to give them a TV contract presently. Um, I've been listening to what was said, and um, I, I would disagree with Harry when he says that the Saudis are in this for the money. Uh, I think they're absolutely not in it for the money. They're using the money to get what it is they really want, which is, I think, attention. I'm not sure that it's a, ca a case of distracting from, you know, the supposed shameful aspects of their regime. I think it's as simple as wanting to be the center of the of the universe. Uh, owning the game of golf commands the attention of the American corporate, you know, the, the global corporate class, you have could they, say. Have I mean, they succeeded, Ken, in that, in getting all these they, players on board? Well, they haven't. They haven't succeeded. They haven't succeeded yet. I mean, the reason that I say it's, that it's not about money is it's impossible to make money if you're paying Dustin Johnson 150 million dollars just to join your golf league. I mean, your cost base is too high. You can't. You can't make money doing that. But you can maybe get a lot of other golfers to join. And when you and when that happens, then you you own the game because the the game is is really the players. I mean, at the moment they're they're nowhere near achieving that. I mean, they've got you know Phil Nicholson's the biggest name. They've got I think three players in the top 25. Uh, you've got players like Woods. Uh, and McElroy, who currently are, are resisting that, but you know, if this if this continues as more players join, if this if there's that kind of money on offer and they keep offering this type of money, then the gravity, let's say, is all on one side. And they'll put up with the embarrassing questions, do you think, or is that a deterrent for the likes of Rory well, there, McElroy? There was a um, I think it was Woods. a truthful thing. The, the truthful thing that Ian Poulter said in his um, terrible interview there was, I don't need to answer that question. I think he just, blur he just blurted it out. I don't think he really meant to say it, but what he said was true. I don't need to answer that question. I think these guys feel like, well, you know, I've got to sit here. These guys are going to lob some questions at me. It's, it's going to be a bit embarrassing, but, you know, afterwards I won't think about it and, uh, and I'll have, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, <laughs> I mean... 
You know, it's, it's that simple. Like, you, you know, you had Mickelson there saying nobody here condones human rights abuses. But of course, that's exactly what everybody there is doing. Everybody there is condoning it. Uh, you know, the, the killing of Jamal Khashoggi, if you take just this, this yeah. one uh, horrific incident, was ordered by the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia. He is the guy. He's, he's still there. He's still running the show. The, the PIF is answerable to him. Everybody in Saudi Arabia answers to this man. He's the guy who ordered it. And everybody there, everybody who's working for this live golf thing has accepted, okay, I'm, I'm prepared to work for the guy who ordered that. It's not like he's gone, well, you know, that was bad. I, I have to step away, you know. He's still there, front, front and center. It's, yeah. it's the same guy. They're, they're saying, I'm prepared to work for this guy because have you seen how much money he's offering? Uh, he, yeah, Harry, you want to get in he, there? Uh, he said, um, yeah, the killing of Jamal Khashoggi was terrible, but golf is a great bomb that heals all of the world's ill. Come by on, all of that. Uh, so he clearly didn't know what he was talking about. What's interesting to sports me, washing, you may say. Well, there was a bit of sports washing there. What, what's interesting to me is the, is the interface between sport and some of the most questionable regimes and individuals. And we saw this phenomenon in boxing when the Kinnahans mm. uh, tried to affect a, a takeover of, of most of global boxing. And most of the boxers went along with it. And the reason why was because they were young men who didn't have a particularly uh, uh, sophisticated outlook on the world. And they were offered loads of money. And money talks in golf and it talks in boxing and it talks in all sports and it trumps everything else ultimately. Sadly, isn't that the case, Mick? You, you asked about politics in this country and it's important that if we have no choice other than to have some trade with Saudi Arabia, that politicians here don't do their own version of sports washing. And Kenny, when he was asked about the Saudi regime and his human rights record, said he thought that they were a force for peace in the region. That's, that kind of stuff is out. And finally, just on the question of sports stars. There is a long and a proud tradition of sports stars who have stood up very bravely and done the right thing. I think of Muhammad Ali standing up against the draft during the Vietnam War. I'm thinking about the soccer players who've taken the knee, the women's soccer players in the United States who fought for equal pay. This is a very uh, good tradition and it's completely and opposite to what those guys are at. And an opportunity uh, to take a stand there. Well, we will leave it there. My thanks to Shane, uh, Mick and Ken. Sinead and Harry will be staying with me after the break. Join us for our Week in Review. Welcome back. It's now time for our Week in Review where we discuss some of the stories you might have missed this week. Sinead Ryan and Harry McGee are still with me. I'd like to welcome political correspondent for Bauer Media to the panel, Sean Defoe. Um, Sean, you're very welcome along to the programme. I'll come to you first on um, the protocol. Um, it, it, it's, it's continuing to be an issue. We had Keir Starmer in town, the UK Labour Party leader, accusing Boris Johnson of taking a wrecking ball to relations with Ireland and the EU. It really is a continuing mess. And there's no solution in sight, unfortunately. Lots of heat and not a lot of light, really, when it comes to the protocol or any solution about it at all. I thought Simon Coveney was really strong today, actually, before he met Keir Starmer. He was talking about this and saying that there's a rot in the relationship between the UK and the EU. And I think that does pretty much sum it up. There's been no substantial negotiations since March uh, to provide a way forward. And he also said, which I thought was a significant intervention, that no EU capital and no one in the Commission believes that Boris Johnson actually wants to find a solution. So when you are negotiating with someone that you can't trust 
to actually be negotiating yeah. with you. Where are you at? Where and are you he pointed to that lack of trust that he found quite stark when, when he was here, that, you know, everyone feels the same as he does and many people do in the UK. Um, on this domestic legislation that Boris Johnson was due to, to introduce that would override parts of the protocol, he hasn't done that. There is divide within his cabinet on it. No, I mean, originally it was meant to form part of the Queen's speech, which is essentially a, a, an announcement of legislation. And then it wasn't part of the Queen's speech. And then Liz Truss said that she was going to introduce legislation. Uh, but things have been very quiet over the past week to 10 days in relation to the intention of, of the British. And I, I, I suspect that what they're trying to do is they're trying to flush out the EU to see if the EU will concede a little bit more. What can they do? I mean, and what the, can well, the, the EU, EU do? always concedes and it always gives grounds and then the, the British take it and give nothing in return. And Simon Coveney and Micheál Martin in recent weeks have been quite... Uh, 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 they've been quite vociferous in relation to that is issue that, that the, the British want the protocol to be collapsed and give nothing uh, in return. I think Keir Starmer was quite uh, eloquent in terms of his description of Boris Johnson, saying that Boris Johnson had applied a wrecking ball. But then when you kind of parse what Keir Starmer is offering as an alternative, I think, as Sean was saying earlier on, you know, he talks about workarounds, but there aren't any specifics to that. And it's a very, very difficult uh, um, uh, decision to deal with because no matter what workaround that you have on, on the protocol, it's going to adversely affect either the British interest or our interests. Uh, the British proposal at the moment will essentially impose a border between the south and the north of Ireland and have very, very deep uh, repercussions for the Good Friday Agreement. They're also trying to undo their own treaty. I mean, this is the whole the, the problem with it, what Boris Johnson is trying to do here. And all the while, we have Stormont at a stalemate and it's hard to see how, how a way can be found through this, Sinead. Yeah, I know, but I think there's an awful lot of people, the DUP included, who think Boris cares. Um, he, he really, really doesn't care. Uh, and he's got a Philip in his step this week because he barely um, is still Prime Minister and, and that may come up again. He cares about one thing and one thing only and that's staying in power and, and there's no doubt about that. He, he has lied his way uh, on, on various occasions to retain that goal. It's all that matters. Mm. The hows and whys and wherefores of legislation and, and trying to negotiate and do the politics thing ha has no interest in him at all. He says he wants to introduce this bill to keep the DUP on side so that Stormont can be. And I'd say he was fed those lines and read them out. He has no interest in it. He doesn't care and he certainly doesn't care now. So the nuance of politics, the likes of uh, Minister Coveney or the EU trying to come to negotiation, it's like watching a toddler with his fingers in his ears. I don't know if you saw any of the Platinum Jubilee stuff and you saw a four-year-old Prince Louis going that's Boris Johnson. And the booze afforded uh, Boris to Boris Johnson, Johnson which yeah. uh, apparently he, he didn't take too kindly uh, to at all. Um, let's go stateside now uh, and talk about the US gun laws. This is in the wake of the Uvalde shootings and testimony that was given this week to the US House Oversight Committee. We can have a watch here, a video message from Maya Cirillo, who revealed how she tried to evade the killer in her classroom. Hi. Thought he was gonna come back to the room, so I grabbed the blood and and put it all over me. And what did you do then when you put the blood on yourself? Just stay quiet, and then I got my teacher's phone and called nine one one. Do you feel safe at school? 
incredibly uh, distressing to hear that evidence um, from that young child who had to give that video message after her classmates, her teachers were killed and, and she survived it. But what an awful way to survive such a massacre. I just don't understand how anyone who could listen to that could ever defend the way things are in America at the minute. And how any Republican, how anyone in any side of the system could think this is an okay situation, that that is what children even think to do in that sort of a situation. To think of, oh yeah, I need to cover myself in blood here to, to survive this. It, it's absolutely mental. And unfortunately, there's still not going to be anything done about it. Yeah, we and we're already moving on to, to the capital uh, riots hearings that are going on. The agenda in the US is changing straight away and the Republicans are spinning it and nothing's going to get going. Uh, but not without Matthew McConaughey taking uh, to the White House podium to give his say on it. Do you think that will have any impact at all? That... Uh, it's down to celebrities now to try to affect change. Well, I'm not just a celebrity. He's from Uvalde and uh, he is a very powerful speaker and even he is a gun owner. And I think there's a bit about uh, the White House and Biden in particular saying we need now to, to maybe display some willingness to talk to people rather than keeping this divisiveness here. I think it is an extraordinary situation where you've got a 10-year-old who has learnt the presence of mind to smear blood in herself and play dead. I mean, it is an absolutely horrific uh, situation. And I saw there is this narrative ongoing, uh, whereas they are blaming this not on guns, because nothing to do with guns, it's to do with mental health. But mental health does not uh, cause mass shootings in Canada and in Ireland and in France and in Britain. No, and it's certainly you the know, excuse that's trotted out um, and by the no, Republicans and, who don't and want to I see agree any change. With Sean, I don't think a single solitary thing is going to change as a result. It didn't with Santi Hook. Yeah, it's Nothing down to those happened. key legislators, it isn't is it? It is not going to change. Uh, um, and I want to ask you, Harry, just, and Sean touched on it there, these January 6th <clears throat> riot hearings that are beginning. Today, we're expecting to get a lot more details about the siege that took place um, and, and assess Donald Trump's culpability in all of this. Yeah, whether he uh, fomented the, the crowd and incited them to, uh, to essentially uh, invade uh, Congress. And the scenes, as we're seeing now on screen, were very distressing at the time. And there were people who were in fear of, of their lives and several people have been charged uh, with there was one homicide there, of course, and there's well, several people have been charged with very serious mm -hmm. offences. This is the, this is essentially the battle lines between the right of republicanism and the Democrats, and this is where the agenda of U.S. politics will be set over mm -hmm. the next three or, or four years. Just quickly going back to Sandy Hook as well. I mean, Barack Obama made one of the most impassioned speeches I can ever recall mm -hmm. immediately in the yeah. wake of Sandy Hook, and it made not a whit of difference. The reaction of Republicans was like the reaction of those golfers. Mm -hmm. You know. Is, is there any situation in which a, a mass shooting uh, would not be justifiable? And all they will say is we don't have to answer that question. And they'll cite mental health and okay. school security and just BS like that. You know, it's mm -hmm. just a completely different mentality. Mm -hmm. And we find it very hard, impossible to, to fathom to here in Ireland. To understand it in any capacity. Um, back to the COVID numbers. They're back in the headlines this week. And it comes as people are flocking to holiday hotspots within Ireland. And that's where the numbers are going up, Sean. They haven't gone away, you know. Kind of thought we'd be done at this oh, stage. Are we two, not? More than two <laughs> no. years in. Unfortunately not. No, yeah, the numbers are going up. And anecdotally, we're hearing of people, you know, coming down with COVID a little bit more. Well, certainly more, I have, yeah. yeah. Not, not quite like what we had at Christmas, but certainly back in the, in the mindset. And the highest COVID numbers at the minute are in, in Kerry, COVID. 
the COVID capital and also usually our, our um, the COVID, yeah, there you go, Michael Lady Ray, I love that, but uh, usually also our holiday uh, capital when it comes to that. So it's only coming into the summer season. You'd expect to see something like this. We're seeing variants around the world sort of leading to a little bit of a bump in the numbers. Hopefully it's something small. The hospital numbers are still relatively low, but there is quite a lot of pressure on the hospital system already at the moment, unusually for this time of year. And dare I say it's it's the dread of heading into the winter months with COVID still doing the rounds. Um, Sinead, I, we can't leave without talking about Love Island. It was oh. off the airway. <laughs> Do you want to talk about COVID? We can do that as well. <laughs> Nearly prefer it. I'm afraid me and Love Island uh, don't know anything about each other. Um, I, but it, when I was in makeup, say, it was Is it the escapism the, we need right I, now? I it was no off the idea. airwaves, it's of course, because escapism. of COVID. I'm afraid I'm into... Um, uh, uh, well, Harry's podcast is very good at the moment on, on, on serial killers. I thought, of the three, I thought of the three of you, you might be I watching, afraid, but certainly not. Harry, I've are never you? seen it. My apologies. Um, <laughs> I, I, um, I, I don't think I've ever looked at Love Island. I've looked at lots of trashy TV, but that's one of the okay. bits of trashy TV that I have looked. But I know people love it and, and follow it. I think the big message this year is that they seem to be wearing kind of ethical clothing or, or clothing that has been yeah, recycled. So that's, that's, that's the only piece of, of information that's been Does it count as ethical? Is there, is Sean, of course, is Sean, Sean is an expert. Sean is to get in here. Sean, Sean is an expert. We need to I, let I you in on this. I'm a big Love Island fan. I did love it. Did you apply? It, it, <laughs> did I apply? Come on now, Sinead. Let's get serious. I, I watched the first episode and, you know, Harry's doing a podcast. ethical swim trunks. No. Harry's doing a podcast on Gubu and I think Gubu could describe Love Island as well, you know. Grotesque and unprecedented is certainly in there sometimes. Bizarre, yeah. Okay, we'll have to leave it there. My thanks to Sinead, to Sean, to Harry, to all of our guests tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also find us now on Instagram, tonight, VMTV. From all the late team here, good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.